Um, and I, I love that. That that just uh, that really stood out to me because I think for a lot of um, you know men and women, especially if there's a milestone like becoming a parent or getting married or you know moving into a house uh, and and changing the you know the quote dirtbag lifestyle, it's it's this. Um, there's this friction, you know, like he's got one promise. Okay. I, you know, I should stay alive. Uh, and that has to do with, with the soloing, but the other promise, um, not backing off. And, and I love, I love the use of the word domesticated. Hey folks, this is Travis Macy. I'm an athlete, author, speaker, and coach. Welcome to the Travis Macy show on this podcast. Me and my dad Mace provide you with compelling conversations with interesting people about endurance sport, ultra mindset, exciting adventure, optimized performance, Alzheimer's resilience, organ donation, good reading, and more. Hey folks, welcome back. Episode 74 here. We've got Jonathan Howland on today. Howland lives in San Francisco. He's a climber and also enjoys writing, gardening, and playing with his grandchildren. He's also an educator. Uh, I imagine he's a great educator. I would, I'd love to be in this guy's uh, English class or literature course. Uh, and his new book out is called Native Air. Uh, it is a fantastic novel. You will hear in this conversation uh, how much I enjoyed the book, how attached I became to Howland's characters and uh, how interested I was in his um, description of, of climbing and climbing culture, climbing history, uh, and also some of the character types uh, within. Um, as you hear in the conversation, we, we really analyze, uh, you know, particularly uh, this the strong character type that we often see in climbing and uh, adventure sports of someone who is just absolutely driven uh, to the point where, um, you know, sometimes other things in life are pushed aside. Uh, anyway, I won't give away too much, but uh, boy, what a good uh, conversation. Again, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, the novel is called Native Air. The author is Jonathan Howland, uh, and uh, it's his first book. Um, let's support this guy by supporting the book. And again, you will not be disappointed. Just a, uh, a fantastic read. Um, on that note, uh, I've, you may have mentioned before, uh, Dad and I uh, have a book coming out as well. Ours is a memoir. Uh, it's not a novel. Boy, writing a novel, um, I think that'd be a big challenge, much harder than uh, writing a memoir, in my humble opinion. But uh, our book will be available on Amazon and other sites for pre-order starting August 15th, uh, if you're interested uh, check that out. We put a lot of work into it. We're glad that it's uh, finally coming to fruition, and, uh, and now we're into the work of uh, spreading the word, marketing this book. Huge thanks to our presenting sponsors, The Feed and Kyoku. Check out thefeed.com slash Travis Macy. On The Feed, one of my favorite brands is Scratch Labs. Uh, Scratch really has been a leader in uh, endurance nutrition for 
a number of years now, um, my go-to for uh, endurance events and, and the go-to for a lot of my coaching clients is a scratch super fuel. This is a high carb drink mix that uh, for me is it's one of the few things I can just uh, consume for hours and hours and hours uh, with consistent energy and also without getting tired of it. Um, the scratch bars are a great snack. Um, I love the taste and uh, my kids also love the taste which is good when we're out uh, skiing, mountain biking, rock climbing, uh, run around with donkeys, all the things that we like to do as a family. Uh, the scratch crispy rice cakes are also a, uh, a sweet tasty treat uh, for you or your kids or uh, maybe your spouse or climbing partner. Again, thefeed.com slash Travis Macy. Uh, thanks for giving that a look. And thanks again to The Feed and Kyoku for bringing you the show. All right, guys, uh, here it is, me and Jonathan Howland. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Travis. Hey, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm good. I'm fine. Great, actually. How are you? How are you? Excellent. Oh, I'm I'm doing great. I am uh, so pumped to be having this conversation uh, about one of the best um, books I've read in a long time. Good. I'm good. I'm, I'm loved hearing you say that, and I'm delighted to to be invited to talk with you. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, so you're coming in from uh, very fittingly, I think, from Yosemite Valley. Is that right? Uh, no, Lee Vining, Eastern Sierra. So the other side okay. of Tiger Pass, a little closer to you. But um, yeah, very, very much the, uh, the milieu of the novel. That's for sure. Not quite yeah. ground zero, but very close. Yeah. All ground right. zero would be just south of here, I would say. So okay. closer to Bishop. Nice. And and you are uh, you are on a climbing trip, I believe, huh? Uh, climbing, camping, car camping, backpacking. It's sort of a mixture. I, it's basically what I can tease my, uh, my partner, spouse, Courtney, and do uh, once a year is just to sort of, uh, be where, where the, the, the heart of it is for me. And she really likes it too, but we, we got to do a lot of different kinds of activities because climbing isn't her, her obsession the way it yeah. is some of ours. So, yeah, um, I have climbing partners rolling through every few days, which just works out really nice. Nice. Well, good for you guys. Um, so, um, you know, I really like climbing. Um, I don't identify as a climber. Uh, I want to climb more. I, you know, I really, what it comes down to is it, it's priorities and, you know, <laughs> other sports have kind of, you know, taken, taken my time or I've dedicated my time to them. Um, but, uh, so my first question to you, Jonathan is, um, is what does it mean to, to truly be a climber and uh, furthermore, what to you is good style in climbing and uh, and even more, what is good style in writing? Oh man, that's an awful, you're, you're just layering it on. That's like a, a wedding cake there um, <laughs> of a question too big. So you're going to have to remind me about the writing part, but I, I'll start with this that I, I actually, uh, um, I, I think a, a climber is very much like an endurance athlete in, in that it's someone who says yes to something that takes everything that he or she or they can offer. What I'm speaking to, I think, is a kind of obsession um, as well as respect for 
what it takes of us to to uh, kind of uh, arrange our our attention and our practice and our training and our lives and our and indeed our relationships, the ways we make livings, all that sort of thing, um, in order to be able to do this thing that feeds our aesthetic. Um, and and is somewhat I would at least in my experience somewhat insatiable. You know, you don't you don't cross the marathoners don't cross the line and 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 throw off their singlet and say, well, I'm done with that. It's over, right? It's just it's very much about um, a relationship to a, a type of challenge that just asks so much of us that we we want to continue to figure out how to answer it. So. Um, so that's that's my big tent picture on climbing. I think the climbing, even more than endurance uh, sports, flies under the radar. I think of the the public attention. Um, so people generally non climbers don't appreciate uh, the intricacy. I think of climbing, and and how much um, how many small things go in to uh, to to the athletics of it, um, including mental things. And that's something that I appreciate particularly about climbing is just being sort of, uh, it's a very much, a, a, a niche market, if you will, of, um, of passion and, uh, and a kind of a, a weirdly, uh, disorderly fuse and, um, hard to, to pin type of community, although it's become much more communicative and I think uh, responsible and supportive in the digital era, uh, not least uh, because of, uh, I don't know, maybe people growing up, maybe uh, I think <laughs> mountainproject.com for me has been huge as a, as a resource and series of forums, as well as the glossies and other things. And the Access Fund, what a great organization. Mm. Um, helping us to sort of police our, ourselves and take care of the, the land. Yeah. Um, and a lot of you're, your you're touching question. on a lot of themes that a lot of themes in the, yeah. in the book. So your second question your first was about climbing. Yep. Um, and you said, what, what's good style, which of course is uh, to a climber, just a, you know, bottomless pit of yeah I know, I know that could go and, go on forever on a especially at a campfire with, uh, that, with beers but, but uh, <laughs> what's what's your two yeah. minutes on good what, style for you um re, number one is reciprocity so when you're climbing with a partner it's having having the same style and same sort of uh, standard same passion same goals as your partner so you know generally what i like is i like to climb with somebody um who who's pushing themselves more or less at the level I'm pushing myself. So there isn't like a, a consummate leader and, you know, and, and follower. I mean, generally when a, a weaker climber is stronger with a climbing with a stronger climber, um, both are held back because the weaker climber is doing a lot of following and, and not having to kind of take care of business and the stronger climber is not climbing the, the things that he, she, or they can do or would choose to do with a partner of consummate, um, whatever it is, ability. Um, so that's one thing. Another is, you know, for me, I'm, I'm really sort of traditional and, and old school, about like no aid, right? No, no pulling on anything, no standing on anything. Um, if you fall, it's, uh, 
it's great because you're pushing yourself, but it's also, it's a taint, uh, you know, you didn't get it and you got to go back and do it at some point, um, to, to, to call it yours. So, you know, in my later years now, I'm 61, I'm finding that, uh, my list of, uh, got to return to climbs is growing longer than my list of want to do. Mm. And one of the curious things, which would have frustrated the heck out of me 15 years ago, but one of the curious things for me is that um, I get great satisfaction out, out of uh, completing something I've failed on more than even uh, on siding something that I think might be a little bit out of my reach. In the latter case, I immediately downgraded. I assume it's it's misrated or overrated or something like that. In the former case, I know that I have blown up on that route uh, or otherwise botched it. And now I'm back there and I'm doing it and that feels really good. Nice. And, uh, and, and how about good style in, but the, I, I, would, I, think, I think one of the, one of the, let me, let me summarize by yeah. saying, I think the, 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 maybe the most important for me answer to your question, what is style is having an answer to that question is actually, you know, having a relationship to that problem of doing things in, in, good form or good style is uh, is a big part of it you know it's and again like uh, uh, any other kind of sport you know somebody who gets to the finish line and uh is wasted and was terrible in the last whatever it is half hour hour two hours of the race is uh, probably not racing or performing according to their style that they would choose so it's a I think this, in other words, is just sort of a ubiquitous phenomenon of those among those of us who are obsessed with physical um, things. Absolutely. And and how about uh, good style in writing? Is is that something that uh, you know you've defined uh, in your mind, or that you um, you know kept in in your thoughts as you were working? Uh, on this book, which my understanding is it was, it was years in the making, right? You know, this is, this is what uh, 10, three 10? years for the first three years for the first draft. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then five, five years after that to publication, including multiple revisions, including some really, really, uh, I think useful or helpful ones, um, in the, a year ago, this fall with an editor, um, yeah. a great editor, but, um, I have a, a my I have two answers. One, um, yes, this was in my mind all the time. It's I'm writing now, and it's always in my mind. Style and always something I'm trying to summon, craft, achieve, revise to to get to. Um, but back to your first question: Do I have a definition of it? And I have to summon. I think it's Pa Stewart, the great late Supreme Court justice, who said he couldn't define pornography. He just knew it when he saw it. And, and that's just true in writing. I think it's true for most writers. And it, sometimes it takes several looks to see it or to not see it. And indeed, in, in Native Air, there's lots of things there that were contestable. Um, digressions, relationships, uh, dialogue, lots of things that were really up for uh, debate even as recently as a year ago um, in the kind of revising and editing process. So, you know, good style is, is a tough thing to you know, eventually it's good enough style, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, what do I like? I like um, intention is critical, 
right? So that so that when you're reading a writer's work, you know that that every mark on the page was considered and and deliberate, uh, and nothing done fast. Um, two, I, I like, um, you know, I'm 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 I like language, so I like rich. Uh, some of my favorite passages in this novel are paragraphs that are a single sentence. They're somewhat convoluted, you could argue, tangled, but they're word rich, they're image rich, they're, I think, poetic, or that I try to be poetic in the, in, the, in the kind of cadence of them and the crafting of them to play with alliterations. Um, I'll give you an example in a minute, it'll occur to me. Um, but that said, the, the, the stuff that really sticks, the stuff, the, the, the little whatever you are, knives and daggers, the stuff that's going to reach the heart often is rendered in, in the pithier lines, um, sort of, and, and some, you know, often in dialogue too, but you know, short, to the point, direct, can't miss it. And I think that's something that I appreciate in lots of other writers. Faulkner comes to mind. Tony Morrison comes to mind. Um, well, for what for what it's worth, Jonathan, uh, this book uh, to me it's it's absolutely good style. Um, I, I spent some time teaching high school English uh, in my previous career, and uh, this is something I would be very happy to you know teach and uh, share with kids. Um, you know, as as an example of of uh, great writing, but also uh, the themes. You know, there, there's the, it explores a lot of these. Um, these incredible themes. And, um, if I can, I, I want to share one, uh, one, you talked about, you know, passages from the book. I'd, I'd love to, uh, share one, um, that really resonated with me. And, and a lot of them did, uh, it, it would take all day for me to share, um, you know, everything that stood out to me. But, um, so this is one, uh, page 128 and, and we're exploring, um, uh, Pete, one of the main characters, and and this guy is um, an incredible character, and I think uh, he, for many of us, um, represents the the personality type of the hard charger. You know, often a man. It, it could be a, a woman who's an outdoor athlete, but uh, you know, sort of just um, full speed ahead, hyper focused. Uh, you know, um, driven, uh, we, we can talk more about his traits later on, but we've gotten to a point here in the story where, um, Pete has gotten married. Um, he, I think he has a child now or, or maybe, um, child on the way and, and he's made an agreement, uh, yeah, with his, he has, by the way, he has both at this point. I'm on the same page. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He has a four-year-old. That's right. Yep. A four-year-old and daughter in utero. That's, that's okay. Yeah. So he's, he's married to Nor, um, and they've made an agreement, uh, about, um, soloing, you know, which is a, a style of, uh, rock climbing without a rope. Um, and, uh, um, so it says if Nor's outside, she can see it. The agreement he's breaking in order to keep another promise, not to back off, not to be entirely domesticated, not to lose touch with how it feels to be alive. Um, and I, I love that. That that just uh, that really stood out to me because I think for a lot of 
um, you know, men and women, especially if there's a milestone, like becoming a parent or getting married or, you know, moving into a house, uh, and, and changing the, you know, the quote dirtbag lifestyle, it's, it's this, um, there's this friction, you know, like he's got one promise. Okay. I, you know, I should stay alive. Uh, and that has to do with, with the soloing, but the other promise, um, not backing off. And, and I love, I love the use of the word domesticated. Um, so let me go further down the page and, uh, Pete is now, uh, he's, he's climbing, uh, and you write the full view quickens the heart and Pete slows his pace in equal measure, reminding himself to savor the close proximity. This we bring to climbing only in middle age, the pleasure of wanting, not training and preparation, not logistics and arranging, but the austere beauty of the hunger itself. He's been here with the wanting so often and in so many places that he's confident of only one thing. Nothing compares. And once he starts the climb, it is only a matter of time before it is finished. And from the summit to the other side, there is no satisfaction like this. And memory is the distant and a much poorer cousin of an imagination joined to an appetite. Man, I love it. It just, uh, it, it, it speaks to me, the, the austere beauty of the hunger itself. And, um, I feel like, you know, for me as, as, uh, you know, as an outdoor person, as an athlete, uh, approaching middle age, um, that's a new thing and it's a good thing. You know, you're not as fast, you're not as strong as you used to be. And you can appreciate, uh, those times when, when the hunger is there, cause that's a special thing. Well, I really appreciate that you like that passage. I, I do too. I don't quite know, uh, how, how or what to say about it, except I'm with you and in that, in my, you know, in my more mature years, I've, I've learned and, and somewhat through, I think yoga and meditation practice to pause and to, to be with where I am instead of, uh, instead of to indulge the excitement and anxiety of where I'm headed. Um, mm. the, and, and I think that's where that passage comes from is that realization that it's really that, that there's something so, uh, such a gift to have that hunger at all, that that's really the, that's the life force. Um, and, uh, you know, just to comment on the, on the central relationship in the novel. Yes, Pete and Nora are married now and they have a kid and they're on the way and they made an agreement to no, no soloing or no dangerous soloing. And, and that's, that's free soloing, I should point out, without a rope. So there's no protection whatsoever. You can rope solo and make it sort of marginally safer. Um, and so he's free soloing a, a southeast face of Clyde, which is a, a route that starts with a couple of hard not hard, but five, nine, easy five, 10 pitches, and then gets technically easier. doesn't get any harder than five, eight to the summits, you know, and it's a half dome sized piece of rock. It's really long and very steep. And I think Pete rationalizes it around the, the prospect that this is not dangerous. This is not something that he's risking his life on. Um, now we, we all know that any kind of fifth class climbing, no, ma no matter how easy, is by definition um, dangerous if something breaks or you get hit by something or because the fall factor is just w whatever it is. It's, you know, fifth class means you're not going to, 
come away from a fall without a you know, serious injury or death. And he's way off the deck. So who knows what happened? And then one of the things that the novel is about for, for anyone intrigued is, is uh, what's going on with Pete at the time that he falls and uh, how are we to, to understand it, but also to navigate grief for someone uh, who, you know, may have been behaving in a way that others feel is reckless or, or even self-destructive. Um, and that's something that really troubles, uh, really troubles is overstating it, but, but deeply concerns the narrator, Joe Holland, who is Pete's former climbing partner and in some ways his, his, his deepest partner for life. Uh, they spent 10 years together before Pete uh, fell. So, um, a lot of the book is about that and also about Pete's son who's four at the time of the passage that you just read about Pete's son's will growing up mostly fatherless and becoming a climber himself and trying to explore, understand, navigate his own relationship to risk and um, climbing in the shadow of uh, his father's not being around also in the shadow of his father's reputation which is quite substantial because he's gets to be known as somebody who's a real player in sierra climbing and mountaineering in the 80s and 90s does a lot of first ascents has uh, is is kind of a, a very knowledgeable source for other climbers and inspiration so yeah that's 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 where we are in the novel that's where it heads um but I, I love it that you picked out the, the passage about the hunger because that's really, that's the engine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, and everybody the, uh, in the novel is, is navigating that. I think they're mm -hmm. exploring that in their own, in their own way. In fact, the in utero daughter of Pete Hunter becomes a distance runner. Um, mm -hmm. So somebody who could one day appear on the Travis Macy show, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I some, think that's there's some that's, great think, scenes where her, her, uh, I mean, I guess it's a bit of both of her parents, but it's coming out in in her, you know, uh, steely visage as she's uh, as she's running, and um, uh, yeah, a lot of lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the record, the the mother Nor is a a, a Nordic skier in college mm -hmm. and quite quite talented not exactly national class but certainly something special in in her collegiate um circle in new yeah. england yeah back you know another um I, I won't do these passages all day but i got i got to share one more because uh, this this by all means on, do this is my uh, favorite part yeah okay <laughs> yeah i uh, you know I, I mean i used to i i loved teaching high school english um i kind of I, I i like coaching athletes and podcasting and, and writing myself even more but uh you know, it's, it's fun to, to talk about, you know, these excerpts, um, back to the, uh, the motivations, um, and, and how those make a book character who they are and, and how our own motivations, uh, make us who we are. Uh, this was one with Nora that really resonated with me because, um, you know, personality wise and naturally, uh, uh, particularly as a, as a younger person, you know, in high school and college, I, 
very much, um, you know, had a, a drive to perfectionism that, um, was typically manifest in academics and, and athletics, you know, mostly running at the time and then triathlon and then adventure racing. And, um, you know, hearing about Nor uh, as a younger person resonated with me. So this is, this is page 230. Um, and, and you're right. In college and after, Nor was in high gear all the time, ever organized and always hurrying towards something. And in her late 30s, still a whirlwind, though only now did I understand it was less to pursue than to avoid. This time she seemed right here on the porch, hands curled around a wet glass of sour lemonade, her eyes reflecting the falling light of the evening, her rendition of her life frank and more or less unashamed and her smile easy and full. And uh, I just, I, I love that. I think at this point, she's she's probably what, maybe, I think in her 50s, um, we see this maturity coming out, like you said, the slowing down. Uh, you, you know, I, I think for her, some of that has, has probably come through the, uh, through her alcoholic, uh, journey and, and, and the AA trainings that she's done. Um, but what, a uh, you know, less to pursue than to avoid, um, tell us about that. Where, where'd that come from? Does that resonate with you? Is that people who, you know, is it all of us at times? Uh, yes, yes. And you know, I, I'll, I'll dare to suggest yes. And, and answer to the third question is it all of us? I and mean, we all have a, a capacity, whether we manifest it or not, to to organize our attention and our, our behavior and our habits in ways to avoid um, or to hold at bay something that is um, that is inescapably troubling or unsolvable or uh, possibly traumatizing in many cases. Um, and I, yeah, wanted to situate Nor as that kind of person, you know, who just, this is the, you know, the, the, this is the person that, that Joe and Pete both fall in love with in some, to some degree in college. And, um, and she's out of, she's kind of unreachable. She's, you know, she's, she's the person you described, um, uh, like you in college, you know, really driven, really organized, um, intentional, uh, going to go to med school, all that. And this is, you know, what I'm looking for, if it's not obvious is the foil to the dirt bag climber, you know, kind of, um, and, and therefore kind of out of reach of them, but somehow she uh, falls is not the right verb, but, um, but appreciates and adjusts herself to Pete and, and they're out for a while. They're not, they're not in the same orbit, but then they, she comes back and that's actually the start of the novel about page, you know, 40, 50, that first soul, that not first, but that umpteenth, whatever it is, solstice party where Nora comes up and Joe has to sort of look out for, for a few days while Pete's um, coming down from mammoth mountain to celebrate the solstice and, and that's when nor resituates herself in california so yeah i'm looking for somebody who's a little bit of a characteristic opposite to you know the the camp forcing mm -hmm. um, but i also want to point out that i think a lot of that camp forcing is just pure bluff and mm. i've i've known numbers of climbers i'm not terribly social but i i know some people and i've known numbers of climbers who are as as organized, intentional, deliberate, obsessed, um, 
working hard to avoid sometimes. Um, and, and that the, the sort of easy, casual, you know, I don't really care or I don't want to talk about it affect that the climbing culture seems to, uh, you know, spawn, mm. uh, is just, is just bluff, you know, and, yep. and, you know, there's the, the, the characters that, that get cited in native air, the, the John backers, the Peter Crofts and, and others, of course, give lie to the, the, uh, the notion that climbers are, are just some kind of a, I don't know, a reptilian subculture. Um, it's, it's quite the opposite. And of course you see that now with, with really the, the famous greats, like, a uh, a Honnold or Tommy mm-hmm. Caldwell or, or, uh, you know, um, Emily Harrington or, um, Beth Rod and people who really organize their, their lives around their, their passion. And they're, they're very deliberate about it. So, so I, here's my, here's where I'm going with this. There's a lot of nor in Pete and in Joe and, and there's enough of Pete in nor that, that that marriage does make sense in, in some ways. Mm. Yeah. And then the other thing is I just sort of feel like, God, that's all crazy chemistry, circumstance, happenstance coming together, like any marriage, you know, and, yep. and then really what, what it's about is the relationship that they form and the ways that they respect and appreciate and desire one another, mm-hmm. not, not how or why they're together in the first place that counts. And that's, that was, for me, was one of the most fun things to explore and to write about. Like those, those scenes in part three where, where Nor is telling Joe, this is Nor in, in her sort of fuller phase where she's sober and thoughtful and able to express and explore her grief without coming unglued or feeling like she might come unglued and without worrying over much about her kids um, and herself. I don't know. But uh, anyway, th- th- one of the things I liked writing about was Nor telling Joe about some of, some of what it was like to be married to Pete and very particular scenes like the, I guess a favorite of mine is, is the, the recollection of the first ascent of inventing the difficulties on the, the uh, Wheeler crest uh, with the, also the day that, or no, it's the day before Nora tells Pete that she's pregnant with Will, mm. which, which, you know, is a big deal for anybody, obviously. And, and in some ways a bigger deal for Pete as a climber who is feeling a little at sea and wonders if he needs to get a regular life and regular job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a fantastic scene. As I recall is, I, th- I think that's the one where, at the, at the crux of the route is, is that where Nora is able to, to climb it because the width of the crack is, is more suited to her, uh, you know, her size than Pete's. That's, uh, that's, that's exactly right. That Nora, Nora is able to do it because she, she fits into a squeeze chimney in a way that, and you know, it's snowing, so it's wet, um, which makes the squeeze chimney even all the harder and, and who knows why else? I mean, maybe Nora is a very talented climber, even if she doesn't love it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's one thing that happens. Yep. Yeah. The, um, the relationship dynamics are one thing I really enjoy 
about the novel. And, and one thing I like is that, uh, you know, you use that word explore this book. A lot of it is it's exploring. It's not giving an answer, uh, you know, whether that's fathers and sons or, you know, the right and wrong style of climbing or climbing versus religion, climbing as religion, uh, et cetera. It's exploring these things without giving a concrete answer. And uh, back to the relationship dynamics, um, you know, there's almost a, at least in my mind, a a parallel scene where um, Pete and Joe, this is years earlier when they, when they are climbing partners and, and you, uh, you know, you write often that, there are over the years, many jokes, you know, about, uh, you know, them being married or, or, um, you know, Pete is Joe's husband, uh, et cetera, just because they, they live together, they could you know, climb together. It's, it's all they do for years and years. Uh, and, and there's a scene where at the, the top of, uh, another climb, you know, in a, in a crack, uh, the, the method comes about where they're basically, you know, cl- climbing together intertwined in, in a scene that um, might be sexual, might be almost sexual. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What were, what are the ideas there? Is it a, is it hint? Is, is it a suggestion? Oh, definitely. It's all those things. It's sexual. It's homoerotic. It's, um, it's, it's deadly. They happen to be unroped because Pete has cast off his, uh, end of the line and climbed up into that chimney and on the lightning bolt cracks in Utah. This is early in part one for anyone interested. Um, but it's also there, you know, the, it's all those things. And I, I love, I love the, the suggestive dimensions of this um, that, like you said, aren't answered or solved, but sort of proposed and alluded to. Um, and they're also, though, you know, the thing that triggers that whole scene is is uh, Pete yelling up from a belay stance to Joe, who's in the middle or end of toward the end of this pitch where he's sort of tucked away into a chimney after some hard climbing. Pete yells up, why minister? Because Joe is making moves to apply to seminary. And, and then... Joe doesn't answer him. And Pete says, you know, why minister to anyone else? And there, I think he's indicating to anyone other than, than him to Pete for whom Joe is just the perfect companion and friend and, you know, uh, uh, husband even. Um, but they're not, whatever it's worth, they're not gay. Um, but they certainly have a lot of, uh, I don't know. They, they have a lot of, intimacy that's for sure so anyway pete climbs up into this chimney and he's removing the gear as he's going when he gets to just under the chimney there's one piece between them if either of them falls it's one can and so there's a there's a sort of trust element here that's being tested and and also you could even argue an active faith faith in pete's climbing capacity and and uh, which is remarkable at this point. He's in great, great climbing fitness. And then he climbs into the chimney and they, they go chest to chest and they relax. At one point, I think Joe describes them as two animal or one animal, two sets of lungs. 
and uh, and then they they emerge on top and have a sort of a charged dialogue about faith and ministering. Um, they, naturally, because I wrote it, it's unresolved. <laughs> they repel mm-hmm. off the other side. So that's yeah, that's that scene. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, others have signaled to me that that's sort of a winner too. Yeah. Um, and and what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that. You know, people who really love each other, trust each other, depend on one another, spend a lot of time together, have a common passion, all that. Also, in this case, are negotiating some some big life strains. You know, this isn't enough for Joe. Joe wants, you know, he's got an imagination of some other way to devote his attention and energies and and really to to craft meaning in 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 existence and or find it and. Um, and Pete's Pete's satisfied and doesn't want to mess with this formula or this situation. So they're 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 basically they're fighting about that without going to blows. Mm. They have been to blows, you know. There's the scene mm-hmm. in Argentina three, yep. or, three or four years before where yep. where Joe fears he almost almost really severely hurt, crushed. Uh, Pete's larynx yep. in, in a fist fight, and uh, so you know th- this is a relationship that has those those uh, those strains and those passionate outbursts, and Joe being the somewhat repressed person that he is, and and so when things come out, they come out pretty hot, um, yeah, pretty hot, heavy, and in a flood, yep, and and that's what happens in the fight in Argentina, although. You know, I hope we feel somewhat sorry for Joe in that situation because he's definitely in over his head from a climbing perspective and he's mm. scared out of his wits. So yep. appropriately. Yeah. yeah. And an area for growth for, for so many of us. I mean, I know for me over time, um, I, I very much worked on, okay, let's, let's let little things out, uh, you know, in a trickle rather, rather than letting many things build out. And then, uh, frustration, um, you know, comes out in, in a waterfall, uh, hopefully where you're not punching your friend in the face or choking them, but, um, you know, something like that. Um, uh, further into little the- teaser for those. Yeah. I was yeah, going to yeah. say a little teaser, a, a little teaser for those who haven't read the novel, yeah, yeah. you know, one of the fun things, if you will, is that, Joe has to explain all this to Will, or at least feels he must, mm-hmm. which is both explanation and confession. Yep. And uh, that you know that's what I'm trying to set up in the in the relationship yep. that that Joe is trying to build with Will, and also with his own relationship to yep. the past. Yeah. And one of, for me, one of the most captivating elements of this story is uh, the nonlinear timeline so that there's uh you know we're learning these these things uh in you know in, in a dynamic order uh throughout the book and um i uh, i really like that um you know obviously to the listeners um in case it's not clear i highly recommend that you get and uh, and read this book um i i want to go a little more jonathan into uh this this pete character type personality type because again it just it's it's so interesting to me it's something you know again i think those of us who are into whether it's extreme endurance sports or paddling sports or or climbing you know mountaineering um 
we see this personality type and, and, and I, I'm particularly interested in it because, um, in team situations, you know, I, I really like, uh, the sport of adventure racing, which is a team sport, but it's also, you know, climbing, like you said, you know, you can think of often as a two person team sport with your climbing partner. Uh, if you're thinking of alpinism, you know, typically it's a, a team of people, uh, tackling an objective together. And, um, you know, I've found this, this Pete personality style. If, if there's, if there's too many Pete's on the team or, or even sometimes that means even more <laughs> than one Pete on the team, um, th- things don't work out, but, but if you, if you have one Pete, things can be, be really good. And, um, in, in your website, uh, Jonathan about Pete, um, you, you write, I've known and appreciated and climbed with several manifestations of Pete, the talented, driven, charismatic, visionary, obsessed. Um, what else about that character type? And, and maybe furthermore, you know, Pete's son, Will. Will gets a lot of that, but he also, um, to me, Will is a little more balanced. Will is like Pete plus some wisdom, maybe, even though, you know, even though he's not very old throughout the book. You know, I back to this uh, this big tent that we were trying to create earlier on in our conversation around uh, common territory among climbers and adventure sport athletes and endurance athletes and Tour de France riders, uh, cyclists from your your last show, the Simmons, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Yep. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, one of uh, um, yeah, one of those guys. It, he's he's you pretty know, a Pete, lot he's of, pretty Pete like. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So yeah, you know the, the the I think the the big strand of of their DNA is this saying yes, this affirmation, this this responding to the challenge, and then the pyramid of yeses and some noes that that extend from that. Organizing one's you know one's one's energy, attention, life, resources training uh, relationships um all of that around um around whatever it is the passion the the sport the objective the route and climbing or the routes in in climbing space that the first ascents that pete is aiming for um so i think what you said is quite quite right that if you have too many peats you have sort of you know too many drivers if you will and climbing is very much a partner dependent um realm you know there wouldn't have been a don wall uh, for tommy caldwell had kevin jorgensen uh, been around to share in that obsession but it was really clear that this was tommy's deal um and if and if kevin had needed it to be his deal uh i don't know if they could have done it or would have done it or if it would have been the right partnership so um so yeah, we know Pete and and Will is descended from him and like his father in all kinds of ways that his aesthetic is is Pete stimulated and and nourished by uh, by rock climbing. But I think you're right. There's a, a balance to him, uh, a steadiness, a coolness, uh, an ability to to um, put things into it uh i don't know a bigger perspective maybe not not to be quite as narrowly focused and obsessed i, I do want to point out that will's a more talented climber than pete ever was or could have been 
Um, I think some of that is where and how he grew up in Mammoth Lakes as opposed to upstate New York, but even more of that is probably genetic, being the, the uh, offspring of Pete Hunter and Eleanor Rhodes. He's got really great genes for technical rock climbing. Um, and um, and it probably doesn't mean as much to him in the end as it does to his father. And I, I find, and I think Joe tries to, or does see, the narrator sees this as, as uh, interesting and kind of a little sad, but, but not really sad. Also kind of wonderful. Um, we had Pete. We don't have Pete. We now we have some other, I don't know, some other talented climber who doesn't need to go quite all that way to uh, to realize his his or to experience his satisfactions and to be you know, to be challenged and nourished by by the endeavor. Yeah, but Pete does, or excuse me, Will does like hot sauce. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Well, what's it? Tell me, is, <laughs> even, is that even just if a it's little... not from Belize? Yeah, yeah. I was. I, you, I was you were the you were the one. Who... I don't know. You were the one who proposed it, that maybe it goes with this territory of, uh, well, yeah, yeah. The backstory. Yeah. I just, um, well, I just went to, to Belize and in Belize, um, every single restaurant, I mean, without fail on the table, uh, there's a bottle of this Marie Sharp's habanero hot sauce. And man, this stuff is, is fantastic. And, uh, when I read these, these passages about Will, he's putting hot sauce on everything, you know, and he goes to the grocery store, you know, he's, he's got this, that, and, and then half the bill is hot sauce. Uh, (laughs) you know, it kind of resonated with me and I don't know, I see that pattern. Uh, my, uh, my personal story, my wife, Amy never liked hot sauce. And, And then she became pregnant with our son, Wyatt. And all of a sudden she just craved hot sauce all the time and uh and out comes Wyatt and you know Wyatt is Wyatt's got a as I said in the email um he's a spicy kid <laughs> and he always he always has been and a lot of these you know these tendencies the drive the hyper focus the at times um insatiability right. w- which are you know and these are these are characteristics of my uh personality you know to to some degree as well but uh Anyway, White and I still uh, both, we love our hot sauce. And can I read one more about Will? Um, uh, did, did you hear me say that uh, he, uh, I lost you there for a minute. Did you hear me say that he, he, he brings the hot sauce into the Mexican restaurant? Oh, I forgot. In in the book, is that Will? He brings hot sauce into the Mexican yeah, restaurant? Yeah, that's Will oh. who brings it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can't get it out. Yeah. That is classic. You know, I honestly, I, that's, it's not a very, it's not a very considered choice on my part, this hot sauce business. But when I, because ref- I don't know where it came from, but when I reflect on it now, I think that a lot of ordinary life is just not spicy enough for Will. And this is mm-hmm. one way becomes expressed you know so if he's going to have eggs and onions and he's going to slather them with something that's going to make his, his body sweat and, and likewise with the uh, the enchiladas in in miguel's yeah dishes. yeah wow that is just that um that explanation jonathan ordinary life is not spicy enough i mean i think that that really resonates as well you know in in, in my, even in my own experience i mean um you know, for, for, for me being a, a primary stay at home 
parent of, of two young kids, you, um, you know, where my wife and I were both working, my schedule is a little more flexible. Um, that was really hard for me. That, that, that sort of ordinary life, the, the routine, the, um, you know, it, it, it was a lot harder than just go out and run all day or bike all day, or, you know, have this, uh, this mountain objective. And that, and I think that's something that, um, a lot of, uh, again, endurance athletes, um, climbers, you know, people who, who feel calmed by, uh, by intensity, uh, you know, thinking of, um, even Alex Honnold and free solo, you know, they go into his brain. Why is he so calm up there? Um, that stuff really resonates, uh, with me, but, um, again, back to Will, this is page 187. Um, and, uh, you're describing Will here. You say, if it didn't feel big, strange, and scary, it could become so at any instant. And with that, the reminder of our provisional status, you can play here on these granite cliffs as long as you like, but you'll never belong. Uh, so sorry, that's, that's Pete and Joe. They've come from the East coast. They're in California. They're even after years of doing this, they're still kind of you know, they're, they're, they're guests. It's not familiar. Will, how Will was born there, you know, Will's a child. Uh, it, you go on. Will was a child of the West, a climber at home, young man in his yard. The air wasn't thin and dry. It was just air. The cliff, not pumpy and devious, but a jungle gym. He had by birthright what his dad sought to acquire and had attempted and fled. I'd been with, with him for less than 24 hours and climbing not for 24 minutes and understood only too well how poorly suited I was for what he'd invited me to do. And, uh, and that also resonated with me thinking of my own story. You know, my parents moved from Michigan to Colorado and, and my dad got into these endurance sports. But, but for me, you know, I've always been from Colorado and it's kind of been what I've done. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd call it a birthright, but it's been, this is just you know, it's what I do. It, it wasn't something I got into as an adult. It's just kind of, you know, that's life. Yeah. I mean, th th this is something I wanted to, you know, again, to play with and explore, but you know, the title is native air and, uh, and, uh, and it comes from a, an Emily Dickinson poem. It's about grief. It's about being really separated from or losing one's nativity. The, the passages, there's grief of want, there's grief of cold, a sort they call despair. There's banishment of native eyes in sight of native air. And, and Pete and Joe always felt, you know, they were really drawn to the Sierra and to climbing and they climbed all over the world and certainly all over the West. Um, but they're really drawn to the Sierra, but, but they never, it never became their nativity. It certainly didn't for Joe and Joe fled it. And, and yet what I think what Joe's coming to realize through will is this, is this experience of something that is, that is native to one's senses, sensibilities, one's aesthetic, what one's you know, passions are and, and how, how you want to kind of de devote your energy and attention. And he had that at one point, you know, Joe did when he was with Pete, he had it in the relationship with Pete. And in some ways he just had it in the climbing for lack of a better term lifestyle that they shared for 10 years. And he, you know, he goes and seeks, seeks to, to, uh, to construct it or experience it differently um, in the ministry. 
and that doesn't pan out. So when he's back here, it's kind of just a double whammy for him. And, and in that passage there, he's kind of reflecting on how Will is, is a bit of the, the archetype of what, what he and Pete had sought to, I don't know, to acquire uh, when they were in their 20s. Yeah. And I'm, you know, just, just generally as, as a theme, I'm really drawn to that, that business of, of the Dickinsonian characterization of grief as, as a kind of separation from something that is native. And I, I, if I sound like equivocal and halting, it's because she is in this, you know, she uses a ridiculously mixed metaphor, you know, banishment of, of native site in sight of native air. Well, you can't see air against like style. It's that thing that, you know, you know, you're in the right place when you're there. Um, feel it with your being not, not with your not with your visual sense but um and then when you're not there you feel it all the more and, that, and that's the that's this type of grief this type of separation mm. yeah i want to i i uh grief was that's, kind of that's that, that's way too english teacherly and heady for me so <laughs> yeah no I but apologize. i do want to explore i do want to explore the the theme of grief more though because um it's, it's, you know, it's the final sort of main topic I had in my notes here. And, and for me, I mean, honestly, the, the, the first time I've really had to grapple with grief, grief deeply was with my dad's Alzheimer's diagnosis. And, and that's also a, um, you know, people, people who do, who, who've been through or navigated this form of ambiguous loss, um, you know, it's a different kind of grief and it's so uncertain and you don't know the timeline or what's happening. Um, it's a, uni a unique kind. And, and I also, uh, I lost a really close friend, um, about a year ago, a, a friend from the, the adventure racing, um, community. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, I, I guess, thankfully my first really close loss of, of a friend and, and a lot of, a lot of grief from it. Um, uh, tell us about that. You know, you, you, you say in 2013 that, that you lost, um, your climbing partner and, and a close friend, you know, how does that come through in the book and, and how, you know, maybe less in the book or more going through all this, do you have any advice on, on navigating <laughs> grief or, you know, things, any, any realizations that come to you in, in this writing process? Yes. Um, one of them is something you named earlier, which is the, the kind of the, the structure of the novel, which is nonlinear. So things are being recovered and, and reconstituted and retold and stories are told um, in not in a sequential order. Um, I feel like that's, that, that's a little bit like the, the sort of weather, if you will, the, the, uh, the meteorology of grief that it, you know, the, paradox is that grief is conventionally i think thought of as, as a response to a finality and of course the the experience that you just described with your father and his, his alzheimer's it's not final and you use the word it's uncertain um it it wends it changes and i my experience is that's how it grief is with death as well that it's mm it's a it's a it's a new relationship to the whatever you want to call it the being who is who is bodily died um 
but it, it's not a, it's not, doesn't, <laughs> it's not like a, a wound that scabs over and then falls off and goes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a, a fundamental, I don't know, change in how your relationship is negotiated or experienced. And that's certainly how I felt, have felt in the nine years since Bill, Bill died. And, and, um, and Bill wasn't a principal climbing partner, but he was a dear friend and he was somebody that I climbed with many times. And he is a very, was, is a very charismatic, attractive, funny, irreverent person who is one of the inspirations for Pete Hunter, for sure. One of several, but, um, and then, you know, Jason Wells was a really good friend of mine. I'm reluctant to bring his name up because I don't like to, you know, traffic and whatever it is, celebrity slash grief. But Jason Wells, who died on, on El Cap in 2018 after I had written the novel and who was a really good uh, friend mm. for years and climbing partner at times. Um, we did some, I did some of the best climbs I ever did with, with Jason because partly because he was that good of a climber, but um, he died on El Cap in 2018. And, and um, it, I feel similar with Jason that, uh, you know, that, that was, that was horrible. My good friend, Dave Goldstein from Boulder, Colorado and climbing partner called me on the Saturday morning to tell me what he knew. And it, it's a, it's a, changes everything knife goes in and comes out severs nothing changes everything quoting from joe's characterization of how he felt when he Mm -hmm. learned of pete's death um but that relationship still exists and uh and that's you know i guess the the wise thing i would say about grief is that boy read some emily dickinson because she's got a lot of great poems on grief and 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 they're very alive and that's that's why it hurts mm-hmm. uh, because it's alive, and yeah. um, and that's what I wanted to do, really from the very start with with um, with with this novel, which is to try to try to evoke and dramatize a relationship between people that could open up a chasm so vast that it would it would the thing that other people would be exploring the rest of their lives mm-hmm. uh, which is the grief of losing Pete and, and you know obviously Joe has that challenge yep. and, and opportunity if you will and yeah. of course Will and, uh, and Nora and in her own way Astrid who never knew her dad because she was in utero when he died um, has the same thing mm-hmm but yeah, yeah, I, I like I like that way you put it. You know, their their physical being is not there, but uh, the reason it hurts so much is because they're still there in in memory, or in the case for Astrid and, and Will to a large extent, these these stories, or when they look around their community at the mountains, that's that's their dad, and and he has his legend, uh, you know, posthumously. He, his legend has grown, you know, and their and their dad is a legend, and they have to they have to navigate that, and and that does make it very very hard. But um, you know, the fact that the fact that someone's still there in in memory or spirit or however you imagine it, that's also good. Um, you know, I mean, my my connection to my my friend Emma, who 
Emma was one of the first episodes of this podcast, um, you know, and a dear friend, but like, I look up and every day I look at the, the angel of Chavano, um, kind of here by my house in Colorado. And, and I think of Emma and she's still there and that's, that's, that's really hard, but it's also, it's good because, you know, she's still part of, part of my life. For me, one of the, one of the important, uh, and I'm just, I'm bringing this up just because I, I, somebody wrote me a note the other day and cited a bunch of passages that he particularly liked. And one of them um, is in a, in, in a late scene in the novel where Joe has, has a, a memory and a feeling about Pete where, where he's feeling sad, not for himself, and not for Will or Astrid mm, or Nora, but yeah. for Pete and for yeah. the life that, you know, that, that Pete has missed out on. And at this point, it's, you know, not quite 20 years since he died. Um, and to me, that's sort of a poignant you know, scene and another element or, you know, uh, aspect of grief. You know, my, my friend Bill was in his mid thirties, you know, Jason uh, was in his early forties and, and there's sadness for me around um, who they were becoming because, you know, becoming is, is so much, a, 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 I feel so much a part of the, of the experience of being alive. And mm-hmm. Being alive would be so feel myself in a state of becoming. So um, it takes Joe a while, it takes a lot of us a while I think, to, to get there because initially the, 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 the insult, the, the hurt, the injury of grief is, is, you know, is some of it anyway is self-pity. Yeah, I'm I'm missing this or I'm losing out yep. on this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Power, powerful, powerful stuff. Um, I, I I hope people are reading this. I I, I think they will. I mean, I, I think this is a this book's going to keep gaining steep because people will read it and, and they will insist that others do. Um, before we wrap up, Jonathan, well, I want to I want to know more about you. Like what what. Uh, you know, I, I I've read through your whole website. It's it's uh, it's good. It's also, you know, it's a, we don't we don't find that much out about you. So what uh, I I know that you you know you you spent a long time climbing. You wrote this book. I mean, it's uh, it amazes me that it's that it's your first novel be, because it's uh, you know again it's just deep deep intricate dynamic. Um, it's clear that you spent a lot of time and effort on it, as, as you said, um, I mean, I mean, what, what else should we know? What, what, if, uh, what are the life cliff notes? <laughs> oh, not, not very, not terribly interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an independent school teacher and, uh, was an English teacher and Dean of faculty at a small high school in San Francisco, the urban school for 32 mm. years before that, a Putney school for four years. Mm. Um, two marriages, two kids, two adult kids whom I adore. Uh, Emily's 35. Nella's almost 30. No, 29. Let's see. It's what year is it? It's 22. He'll be 89. He'll be 30. Holy God. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the summer, two grandkids. Yeah. You, you see them on the website. I'm not, I'm curious about your, your teaching over the years or, you know, clearly you're a fan of Dickinson, Dickinson, but maybe other, subjects or, or authors who you've taught? Um, well, the ones I love are Faulkner, uh, Tony Morrison, um, recently Marlon James, 
uh, the Russian writers and big Chekhov fan like Dostoevsky taught a lot of them. Um, but I read all kinds of things. And I read constantly. So there's no end of writers. I admire and appreciate. I recently reread Annie Prue's close range stories um, and was blown away by the, by the craft. I hadn't looked at them in 20 years. I'm just, just so impressed and appreciative. Um, I don't, did you hear me talk about my own writing? Yeah, uh, no. Why don't you tell us again? You were, I heard you were saying you you've been on and off the fiction writing bus uh, for four decades. Yeah, I called it a wagon because I do analogize yeah. it to a, a problematic relationship. Let's just say, mm -hmm. um, and if I fell off the wagon, as it were, hard with with native air, and have fairly continued to stay off, which is to say, I've been working on other things. And I got a collection of stories with an editor now. She likes them and thinks that they'll find a place in the marketplace. Mm. Um, and I'm working on another novel, which is totally different than Native Air, multiple narrators set in San Francisco between the 50s and the turn of the century. Mm. Okay. Last and is, and is climbing involved at all in that other novel or, or not? No, not at all. And it comes up just once in the collection of stories and sort of mm -hmm. obliquely just around a, 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 around a grief, actually, um, mm. which the editor was happy to see because she helped me edit. She helped edit or did edit uh, Native Air. Mm -hmm. But no, no more climbing. Mm. Um, more of the other the other subjects, families and and uh, and various kinds of disabilities and and uh misconnections and and loves and griefs yeah mm. well if if too. you uh <laughs> if if you think of it um, I, I think please let me know when any of those one uh, of the come out i i'm, I'm definitely oh, i will for sure yeah i was i was delighted to see that good reading was one of your uh podcast subjects i think it's after organ donation and before and more so <laughs> that's right yeah felt like felt like there's a place there's a place yep for me that's true. Um, yep, and I'm, like... I'm really interested, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do in, in, uh, in Native Air, I think it was unconscious at first, was, was to write a, a novel that was professed some skepticism about storytelling. Mm. Um, because, you know, really it is, it is what Joe leaves in order to pursue is a relationship to story, in, in his case, the Christian faith. Yeah. And, um, and you know whatever it is uh helping others you know consoling others encouraging others in the power of story and then really that's what he's he has to do when he gets back to uh california both to will but also i think to himself even at this point when he's grown very skeptical about stories so you know when he says to will i want to you know i i just want i want to write a story i can believe in i think will thinks that's just a little sort of overthinking it um mm -hmm. poetic hogwash but um for joe that's very meaningful so you know I'm, if i'm doing nothing else now i'm, I'm teeing up the whole premise of the afterward so any, any readers mm -hmm. out there who get yeah. to the afterward and wonder what the hell is this about well there you go yeah yeah and it was it was said well uh Again, hoping some listeners at least will will go to your website. Um, if if they Google your name, Jonathan Howland, it'll come up. I think it's Jonathan Howland. Is it .com or .org? .org. Okay. Yep. So .org. And, and then um, 
under storytelling there, uh, I, 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 I marked this one. You said the standard Joe sets for himself in rendering this book again, so long as it's a story I can believe, reflects his resistance and mine to the tidy, moralistic, and or triumphalist stories of his pastorate and of our common American culture. Related, the layered, untime-bound narrative structure of the novel corresponds to my experience of how life is lived, rehashed and messy, the present punctuated by the animated past. Um and that that resonates with me. And uh, again, I don't want to go into my own writing too much, but but thinking back, like my my first book came out in 2015, and and one thing I've realized as a writer is like something that you that you write, like it's a snapshot of you at that time, uh, you know, especially if it's nonfiction, but also it's if it's fiction, you know, like it's not it's not the same thing that you would write five or 10 years later. And, um, as I go on now to my, my second book, um, a mile at a time, uh, you know, it's, it's different. And I, and I hope that it's, um, less, uh, you know, less straightforward and maybe triumphalist and, and, uh, you know, it's a little more, uh, a little more messy and hopefully real need to wrap it up. Any, um, Anything else you you want the listeners or potential readers to know? No, no. I'm delighted we got to that piece about storytelling. That's something that's meaningful to me. So uh, that's all. But just thanks so much. It's just been great to talk with you. And I so much appreciate the close, uh, alert, you know, thoughtful reading that you gave to Native Bear. No, thanks, Jonathan. I, I appreciate it. And the, and the feeling is mutual. Um, great job on the book. Uh, you know, again, just fantastic. Um, keep, keep up the writing and, uh, and thanks for taking the time. I really, I really enjoyed this. Like truly it's, it's an honor to, to get to discuss uh, your, your book with you. Big thanks to the feed and Kyoku, our presenting sponsors on the podcast. Check out thefeedcom slash Travis Macy. From there, you can search for Kyoku, K-Y-O-K-U. This is a tasty and healthy and creamy breakfast shake. Uh, Let me tell you some of the ingredients. We got tart cherry, sweet potato, beet, apple, coconut, turmeric. I know that stuff does something good for you. Chia, ashwagandha, spinach, broccoli, chickpea, uh, man, I don't know how you get all that into one, uh, one little smoothie, but somehow they did it. And, uh, I tell you what, I like this stuff. I mix it up, uh, with some water in a bottle. Uh, you can blend it too, if you want that, that makes it a little creamier. I just shake it up real hard. Cause, uh, I'm, I'm usually kind of in a rush in the morning, but it's a great way to, uh, get some good calories in. Um, I give it to my kids. I'll have it at times as a recovery drink mix as well. Again, that's Kyoku, and check out thefeed.com slash Travis Macy. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. Uh, I think you probably saw it or, or heard that uh, it really was a pleasure for me to talk with Jonathan. Um, I enjoyed hearing about his writing style, his writing process, uh, the style and ethics and history of rock climbing. And, uh, that's an area where I, my, my interest is growing. I want to get some more climbers on here. Um, hoping to do more climbing myself. Uh, it's one of those things that for me at least is 
kind of tough to fit in these days, uh, but my kids enjoy it, and so I get them out there whenever I can. Probably some of you are doing the same. All right, folks, have a good one, and uh, we will catch you next week. The Travis Macy Show is part of the Palm Tree Pod co-network of podcasts. It is produced and edited by Anthony Palmer. The content for this episode is created by me, Travis Macy.